Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning. My name is Sharon and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the HEXO Q1 2021 earnings call. Before we begin, we would like to remind you that certain matters discussed in today's call or answers that may be given to questions asked could constitute forward-looking statements. These statements are based on the company's current internal views, estimates, expectations, and assumptions. These statements should not be read as assurances of future performance or results. They involve known and unknown risks and uncertainties and other factors that could cause actual results, performance, or achievements to differ materially from current expectation and those implied by such statements. We would also note that we utilize certain non-IFRS measures in our financial reports, which may be discussed on today's call, and reconciliations between any such non-IFRS measures to their closest reported IFRS measures are included in our MDNA. This discussion is qualified in its entirety by cautionary notes regarding forward-looking statements and the risk factors that are included in the, at the end of this morning's earnings and news release in our MDMA and AIF filed with our fourth quarter 2020 financial statements on CDAR this morning and which will also be filed on EDGAR. Please review these materials for more information about forward-looking statements and the risk factors that could cause actual results to differ materially from our current expectations and those implied by such statements. HEXO disclaims any intention or obligation, except to the extent required by law, to update or revise any forward-looking statements as a result of new information or future events for, or for any reason. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you'd like to ask a question during this time, simply press star followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. If you'd like to withdraw your question, press the pound key. I would now like to turn the call over to Sebastian St. Louis, CEO of HEXO. Thank you, operator. Good morning, everybody. Before we get going, I'd just like to uh, wish everybody good luck. Uh, of course, during these unprecedented times, uh, Hexo has certainly kept the safety of its employees as a paramount priority. And we've taken many precautions to ensure that uh, everything goes smoothly and that we continue our essential service of supplying Canadians with high quality cannabis during this pandemic. A big thank you to everybody at Hexo for your role in supplying our consumers and customers. Before we discuss Q1, I'd like to take two minutes and share with you a look inside our Belleville Center of Excellence. I'm very excited to share with you what we've got going on inside. Belleville's a game changer for us, and we're now up and running. Operator, would you please start the video?
you just got to look into our truly world-class center of excellence in Belleville, which also houses our trust operations, our JV with Molson Coors. It was thrilling to be able to share a virtual introduction to that site with you a few days ago and again today. Uh, I promise you the feeling when you walk in is even more exciting. This facility is highly automated and we believe that it delivers a competitive advantage and it really leverages the capital moat that Hexo has erected in Canada. With this facility, we have the ability to go to market quicker than most competitors. We have the ability to ramp up new product lines and we have the ability to continue to lever economies of scale to push better pricing to our consumers. We've been hard at work over the last few quarters, and especially in Q1, matching timely supply and demand. And that's down to the skew level. We're really moving beyond talking about tons and kilos at Hexo and really starting to talk about discrete skews, velocities, uh, sell through at retail. And this is an area that's uh, remaining top of mind. We understand some of the frustrations that our consumers and our customers feel when we introduce great new products into the markets and then it rapidly sells out and they have to wait until we replenish. With our Belleville facility now, uh, we are getting control over that skew by skew velocity and uh, getting that additional supply in market is really unleashing the potential uh, that Hexo has. In the first quarter, we deliberately took our time to really understand the forecasted demand and to build a planning organization that can make sure that popular products and uh, rarer products are available to consumers throughout Canada uh, at all times. We're starting to see the early benefits of this. You saw in our video, uh, secondary packaging has increased fivefold. So that capital mode and that ability to go quickly to market means that we're putting fresher product into market. The manufacturing capability of taking a freshly harvested flower and bringing it quickly, say under 60 days into a retail store, uh, gives us uh, an ability to simply have a higher quality product. Consumers started measuring quality by price and obviously Belleville contributes there and Hexo has been a price leader now for over a year. Uh, they have also uh, continued to measure quality by potency. And we've recently launched our Up Cannabis brand, which uh, is the first brand to promise a potency guarantee to our consumers of over 20%. The next bastion where we need to be able to, uh, to win is freshness. And competitors of ours that do not have access to a facility of the scale and complexity of Belleville uh, will simply not be able to compete on that freshness because you need a very, uh, very nimble and complex supply chain to be able to take that fresh flower and bring it to market quickly. Our goal is to keep the most popular and successful products in market so our consumers gain access to the whole Hexo portfolio and that our customers at the boards uh, can continue to rely on Hexo as a partner of choice. We've had a phenomenal Q1 and start to the year. Record revenue, $41.3 million, which is the highest in the company's history. We're up 14% sequentially from the fourth quarter and more than doubled year over year. 
Our net revenue was $29.4 million and is also up substantially from prior, prior periods. More, maybe even more impressive than that, and what really gets me excited is that we're proving Hexo's ability to win important categories. We have won the hash category. We are the clear number one national supplier of hash. And resoundingly, we have just taken the number one position in beverage. Now, this will be a, a highly fought for category. I think it'll be a much more important to the industry than anyone realizes so far. Uh, in fact, I'll talk about this a bit more on the call, but we are now, as an industry, rolling the beverage business at about 1.9% of total market. So some of you on the call might say, well, okay, 1.9%, that's not a, an interesting uh, number. And this is where uh, I beg to differ, and I think it's a very significant milestone. For years now, we've been talking about beverage as a piece of cannabis being between the one and one and a half percent. In fact, in the USA, beverage occupies about a 1.4% piece of the market. The fact that we have now demonstrated that by creating a best-in-class product with better taste, with a recyclable glass bottle, and with a wide variety of portfolio and effects, that we can overtake the total category space that exists in, in, in beverage in the U.S. proves how important this category is. I'll talk a bit more about that during the call. Our sales momentum has increased across Canada, and we're still holding the number one position in Quebec. So take that, take that in for a moment. Hexo has been concentrated on being the number one supplier to Quebec, and we are continue to achieve that. We're still sitting on a 29% market share uh, in our home province, and we will continue to serve Quebec as, a, as the preferred supplier to the Quebec marketplace for years to come. However, what's very significant this quarter is you're seeing a meaningful uptick in outside of Quebec. So as our supply chain has become more robust, we've been able to put attention outside of Quebec, and you've seen us become top three now in Alberta. We're moving up in Ontario. Uh, we're in the sixth position in that market, and we expect that trend to continue uh, so that in future quarters, uh, we uh, actually expect that we will have more revenue coming from outside of Quebec than in Quebec while keeping our number one status there. We're launching products that resonate with consumers. We uh, started the year with original stash, taking over uh, price point and really redefining the market. When we launched original stash, it was a 28 gram format at a very competitive price point. That product was uh, met with a lot of market skepticism. And today, those types of 28 gram uh, good value offerings are over 50% of the market throughout the chain. Our hash product, as I mentioned, is number one, and we continue to be able to out-innovate. Uh, our vapes are getting phenomenal reviews, and across the, the, the board, uh, Hexo is seen as a leader by our consumers. We really took time to match supply and demand, and that meant some difficult decisions. Uh, so our up product, for example, uh, our upline relaunched in Q2. So you don't actually see the benefit of the up relaunch in Q1. Uh, that's additional upside, and it's going very well. This is our sixth consecutive quarter of EBITDA improvement. Our first quarter, where we've improved 87% from a negative of 3.25 million in Q420. 
to a negative from a negative of uh, almost uh, well to a negative of about four hundred thousand dollars. So getting very tight on our EBITDA control now, uh, losing uh, under a million dollars. Our gross margins, uh, excluding adult use beverage, were thirty nine percent and continue to be very robust. Go forward and prove out the sustainability of a CPG uh, marijuana company. And beverage itself has gone from a whopping minus 125% gross margin to 1% positive uh, in just one short quarter. Our uh, CPG partnerships, I think the most significant part about uh, our deal with Molson and beverages is that uh, it really proves out the model uh, that Hexo embarked on three years ago with our Powered by Hexo model. So Hexo believes that we will never be the best company at making a coffee, a beer, a chocolate bar. We believe there are world-class companies that make those products. And we believe that Hexo is a world-class company at understanding consumer experiences built from the molecules that come from marijuana. And I think that this foray now into beverage with Molson Coors through Trust has allowed us to demonstrate that that strategy is a winning strategy. For less capital than some of our competitors, we've taken the number one spot in Canada. We've just recently launched in the United States, so we now have CBD beverages derived from hemp on the shelf in Colorado, and we're very excited to see how that develops. Although today I won't talk to specific numbers in that market uh, because it's, uh, this is very fresh news. Uh, but we've been hard at work on these partnerships now, for, uh, and we've never really stopped over the last three years. They are uh, extremely complex partnerships, uh, to negotiate, and that's what we've been doing. So we believe that as we are able to land successive partners to Molson Coors, that will really continue to prove additional upside for Hexo and our shareholders. I'll now turn it over to our CFO, uh, to uh, Trent McDonald, to go through uh, a little bit more about the numbers. Thanks. Uh, very much appreciate it, uh, and uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, the one thing, the first thing I wanted to point out really was, uh, oddly enough, not the result itself, but the cleanliness of our P&L. Uh, I think that goes back to Q4. You know, we made some tough decisions at the end of the year uh, around cleaning up our balance sheet. So we took uh, a lot of write-downs, a lot of big impairments, because we no longer wanted to do what the industry tended to be doing, and that is piecemealing this cleanup over time. We wanted to come into this year with an extraordinarily clean set of financials so that when we came to market, as we did just now on Q1, people could see and digest the results the way they should be able to do. And so you, what you see here is a very clean, understandable P&L. Uh, and that is where we are going to continue um, in the future, uh, each quarter successively from here on out to show beautifully clean P&L that people can digest that is very simple to understand. Uh, you know, if you look at our results, uh, getting into them, our operational cash flow was only minus 6.1 million. Uh, add that to the uh, Q, Q4, and you're talking about in a half of the year, we've only gone through 10 million of operational cash flow. Um, a lot of that came from, from inventory this particular quarter. Uh, we did build up inventory, but I want to talk about that. Inventory has been an area of risk for LPs, not for us. We've cleaned it up. We had a great harvest near the end of the quarter, and that was a higher yield or uh, higher yield uh, harvest than we had anticipated, which was a great thing because since that point in time, 
we've been able to turn all of that into value-added um, stamped finished goods at our Belleville facility, which are now out into market. We are not creating any risk. For the first time in our history, we are actually using more trim on a weekly basis than we can actually produce. And I don't know of any other LP can say that. Um, we are in a great place in inventory, and and that is uh, and that was predominantly the use of our cash in Q1, which we don't expect going forward. It was just a timing issue, but we're in a great place. So if you look at our total cash flow, I mean our total cash flow um, would have been only a use of 11 million dollars for the quarter had it not been for one thing, and that's a 23 million dollar move from cash to restricted cash which was to fund a captive insurance policy for ourselves and our DNO, which saves us between 10 and 15 million a year in uh, premium. So a great move to do that, a very high return. So right now we're sitting with $150 million of cash on our balance sheet. That's, you know, you just think about that and the 10 million we've gone through from the operations perspective in a half a year, and we have 150 million on our, on our balance sheet. We are not doing anything dilutive right now. We have chosen, cognizantly chose not to do anything dilutive and to be opportunistic uh, as many of the LPs have been over the course of the last several weeks when the industry has taken off as a result of much of which was due to what was happening in the United States. Um, and there are lots of LPs who have absolutely no exposure to the United States, yet their stock are, are driving forward. Um, not like us, we have exposure to the United States. Uh, and even still, you know, we, we are sitting in a place where we don't have to be opportunistic, which is great. Um, and, and therefore, we, can, we have the cash to support what we need to do on an ongoing basis. The, uh, one of the things we want to talk about is the improvement in that EBITDA and that path to EPS. So that starts with our war on COGS uh, to keep those margins uh, being very healthy while we know that the market is severely price competitive and we are a leader there. We want to offer great products at a competitive price. And so that means we have to be extremely good on the COG side so that we can continue to deliver healthy margins, um, which we are doing. The other thing is SG&A. You know, with SG&A, we have been doing a lot of things to control those costs. Uh, in, the, in this quarter, our, if you look at G&A, Marketing, selling, and promotion, and R&D. Those are your three core SG&A that you see on the face of the of the of the P&L. Very similar to other LPs. For us, that figure was 15 million dollars in total, or 51% of net sales. That's down from 15 and a half million in Q4, which at that point was 57% of net sales. We need to be better there, and we know that. So we've already made significant improvements in Q2. Uh, we've done some restructuring and are going to continue to do some restructuring over the next two quarters beyond this to get to a place where we know we are going to be best in class in SG&A. We have some very high targets for ourselves in terms of getting that percentage down to a reasonable level of net sales. Um, within a year and a half, to two, within a year and a half, we're hoping to get that down under 25% and even better. Uh, of, of net sales. That is a great target and a good place that allows us to have that clear path to earnings per share. Earnings per share is where it's at. And when you look at market valuations today, 
there is what you would call an implied level of earnings inside of market cap. And if you look at an industry like ours where it's growing, even if you said, okay, market caps are represent 40 times an implied earnings stream on behalf of the company um, that you're talking about. Well, if you look at that 40 and you just, and I encourage people to go out and look at this, okay? I encourage you to go to all the LPs and us and look at our market cap, divide it by 40, say, what does that mean for implied earnings? Then compare that to the reality. So the reality is you take margin, you minus out that SG&A I talked about earlier, which is the G&A, marketing, selling, and promotion, R&D, just minus that for margin. And you say, okay, what, is the, what does that look like as a number? And what is the depreciable capital base that everyone's using to get that number? That's another thing. We're under 300 million. We have been very diligent in our way of ma managing the P&L or managing the balance sheet. Others, you know, you can look it up for yourself, billions, multi-billions of capital, depreciable capital to get their earnings, not us. So you take that and you, you take that net margin, minus out the SGNA, minus out the depreciation, and where are you? What does that earnings look like today? What is the reality? And, and multiply that out by four, you know, because it's a quarter. It's like, okay, what does that look like for annual earnings? And how does that compare to what was in the market cap? You're going to get a disparity. You're going to get big disparities across the board between what the reality is and what's in the market valuation. Some of the LPs out there are as high as $750 million of annual earnings as a disparity. Not us. We are under $45 million right now. That is by far, bar none, the best of all the top five or six LPs. And it's not even close. We have the lowest disparity between our valuation on the market and the reality of what we are delivering today. We have a path. We are headlong into this path of eliminating that disparity and then moving well beyond it with regards to earnings per share. And that is what's extremely important to us and where we're gonna to continue to go. And we're gonna do it off the back of a low capital base while not being dilutive unless there's some type of strategic initiative, something that we can bring to market to say, this is why we need to dilute because there's something that's going to provide a very reasonable return for our investors. At that, uh, I do want to turn it back to Sebastian and uh, thank you everybody for, for listening in. And uh, I think we're going to open up to questions. Soon. Before we get to questions, I'd like to again, wish everybody safety and health as the global pandemic continues. I'm so proud of what the HEXO team has achieved for the, and uh, also for their dedication as we navigate through an ever-evolving environment. Despite the many challenges that this economic and, and social construct has posed here, uh, the cannabis industry continues to grow. That's a testament to consumer demand for safe and legal, high-quality products that are offered by licensed producers and Hexo. The industry is running at about a $2.9 billion run rate. That's just in Canada and it continues to accelerate. We're in a top four market share position at Hexo. We are closing in on the top three spot, which I continue to believe uh, will be necessary to be in those top threes to ensure a long-term uh, sustainable business with high value brands that can be leveraged internationally. We've proven now that the Hexo model of partnership is one that leads, that can lead to being number one in important categories. We've shown that the US story 
isn't the be-all, end-all. When you look at beverage as a part of the market in the U.S., it's not just 1%. It's not 1.5%. In fact, after two months in market in Canada, it is 1.9% of Canadian sales. That means that categories, when you hit the product right, when you truly create a proposition that delivers to consumers what they want, you are able to redefine the market and create a larger opportunity. We're currently number one in Canada. It's possible for Hexo to be number one in the USA. We can take what our Canadian run rate is and multiply it dramatically in Canada, but our strategy following US legalization uh, provides a ton of blue sky. And take in mind that our, just the Canadian opportunity is currently running at a $12 million run rate annualized for Hexo. That, uh, and, and that's just us. That's not the whole industry. Uh, remember that beverages have a high capital moat around them, that the technology and the manufacturing behind them cannot be easily replicated. And the expertise that Hexo is developing and that our partners are contributing is hard to match. We've now proven our ability to win categories. We've proven the model and we continue to negotiate We've never really stopped uh, with other CPG partners to multiply that success. We look forward to updating everybody at our next call. It should be an exciting next quarter, a very exciting next year, and I'm very happy to be able to take some questions now. If you'd, like to, ask a, if you'd like to ask a question at this time, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. If you'd like to withdraw your question, press the pound key. Your first question comes from Tammy Chang with BMO Capital Markets. Hi, good morning. Thanks for the question. Um, I wanted to uh, ask about the U.S. I guess first is um, if you could provide a bit more commentary on uh, Trust U.S. So you mentioned you've, you've launched in Colorado. Can you just talk a bit about um, how you're thinking about additional states, just kind of expansion on that front? And then I'm also curious how you think about Hexo's strategy for the THC side in the U.S.? Thank you, Tammy. Uh, the, the, the U.S. expansion is, is really going to follow, um, follow the regulatory path, and that regulatory path is not fully defined. We, we've obviously seen the first vote on the Moore Act uh, probably getting shut down in the Senate, so that, that is probably not the immediate path. Uh, so before going to multi-states, HEXO is going to make sure that we are uh, in full cooperation with all federal uh, and state laws uh, in, in the USA. Uh, so the current operations in Colorado are, are fully legal at all levels of government. Uh, they, they're within the state lines. They're from hemp-derived CBD. Uh, there are other states that have a current legal environment uh, from our interpretation. Uh, what the, really the advantage of our strategy is we wanted to prove out the product in Canada. That was number one. Now we are proving out uh, the nuances to the product for the U.S. consumer base, which is slightly different when you start to talk about uh, branding, concentration, taste profiles and that's really we're leaning on the expertise of Molson Coors there uh, but uh, certainly we're keeping a close eye on expansion opportunities so those, those uh, will come soon okay got it and my follow-up question is um, just wanted to revisit the the up relaunch versus the uh, you know the original stash product line so uh, looks like there was good growth on the original stash side. So, uh, just wondering, in the market, are are we seeing a reacceleration in in that value segment again? And with respect to the up relaunch, 
Um, can you talk a bit more about how that's going um, as you're trying to endeavor now to up pricing your consumers and other value consumers, you know, kind of up that, that pricing tier? How, how, do you, how do you do that and how is it going? Thanks. Thank you. Before we before we start to talk about raising prices for our consumers, uh, it's critical that we develop better we we deliver a better feature set and better value for them. And th this is really why uh, we're very excited about Up because our cultivation has gotten so much stronger now. We're able to deliver uh, at, at at a a predicted a predictable guarantee twenty percent plus THC. Uh, with a very strong terpene profile, we've uh, we've redesigned our genetics lab in Brantford. So we have an entire indoor facility now at Hexo that is 100% dedicated to the development of world-class genetics. And so we're leveraging the existing massive uh, genetics bank that Hexo has, uh, and we're further developing on top of that. So we're, we're in R&D, and as we introduce new feature sets, we expect to be able to offer competitive pricing for what that feature set is. Uh, the up uh, launch has gone very well. So since we've uh, hit market, uh, we're getting a great consumer response. And I think that's because we're meeting the expectations of the consumer. We promised a certain concentration. We promised a higher quality product. And we're still competing at a very reasonable price. So if you compare a uh, high-end up product to, say, uh, some of the higher-end black market products, uh, we, we're still in the, the right pocket from a consumer demand perspective. Uh, original stash and uh, lower priced uh, value offerings still continue to be a large part of the demand profile. And we've seen a ton of competition in market. But as mentioned earlier, most of our competitors don't have the robust infrastructure that Hexo has. And so uh, they've been able to kind of come in and out. But original stash remains a mainstay for consumers and continues to gain traction. Got it. Thank you. Next question comes from Aaron Gray with Alliance Global Partners. Hi, good morning. Uh, congrats on the quarter and thanks for the questions. Um, you know, first one for me, guys, is, is on the beverages. Um, so I know you guys remain, you know, very bullish on that now, 1.9% uh, of Canadian sales. So I just want to know if you guys have done kind of any initial kind of studies or conversations with consumers in terms of how much of that, you know, has been kind of trial versus repeat purchases and maybe some of that initial feedback that you've been hearing that gives you kind of further confidence um, in the overall trends that will kind of help that category continue to grow as you and uh, competitors continue to uh, launch new products and build that out. Thanks. Thanks, Aaron. Yeah, the the trial is certain. The trial rate certainly high. Uh, what's exciting is uh, Health Canada is now taking a look at the regulations, and there's a there's early uh, regulatory uh, interpretation that's uh, that should allow us to go from a, a five drink limit at point of purchase to six drink limit. So that that's already a meaningful improvement uh, because that's been some of the feedback our consumers are saying. They're saying. Can I please buy more of this stuff, uh, especially at once? Can we reduce friction? Uh, and when you look at the concentration, for example, uh, the uh, the current equivalency factor, so what, which is what drives in regulations how many drinks you're able to buy, uh, is based on the milliliters or the volume of the beverage. So it really uh, is not aligned with consumer and public safety. Uh, and I think Health Canada is well aware of that. They've gone to consultation right now. I think we will see that change. And as that changes uh, in the next while, that will really allow not just a six-pack uh, at point of purchase, but a case quantity consumption. And as you start to hit that, that uh, really conflates with our production ability too. So you saw in our, in our 
video this morning. Our Belleville facility with Trust, we can produce 400 units a minute. Uh, and if you do the uh, if you do the math and you start to annualize that, uh, that's a tremendous amount of beverages. But we've really built that facility for what we believe the market will be in the future. Uh, and uh, I've I've said a few times I believe beverages could be as high as 15% of the total cate- category, uh, a massive part of the market. And so I think as regulatory changes shift, uh, we're hearing loud and clear from our consumers, we want to buy cases. Uh, Health Canada is certainly listening as well. And I think as those things fall, uh, beverages will continue its climb uh, as a meaningful part of the category. All right, great. Thanks for that, color. That's helpful. And then the second question for me will will go along with pricing as well, but more on on the vape side. So say you guys had... Uh, you know, increase sequentially on, on the vape sales, it looks like, looking at the MDNA. So just wanted to, you know, get some commentary that you might have in terms of, you know, what you're seeing within the vape category, you know, where you've kind of started to launch some of those products, uh, especially as we've seen kind of overall, you know, a lot of um, other competitors launching their own products and some competition on price there. So just any commentary in terms of what you're seeing on the vape category and how you kind of see that evolve and where you see yourself, you know, kind of having a competitive edge would be helpful there. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so vape is where uh, flower was 18 months ago uh, as a general category. And what I mean by that, uh, distillate pricing in Canada is still egregious. Uh, and that translates to high unit cost in vapes uh, and then uh, essentially a high price for the consumer. So when, when the consumer is still looking uh, at vape overall, and this isn't just for Hexo, but vape overall, uh, they're priced out of the market compared to black market. Uh, black market is our number one competitor. Let's make no mistake. We have to get the pricing right and we have to beat black market pricing without qualification. So before uh, we can get the, uh, say, 90, 95% of the total market, a consumer has to know and trust that what's available in legal channel is better priced than what they can get from their dealer on the street. After that, once they know they're getting the best price, then we can talk about feature set. Then we can talk about concentration. Then we can talk about safety, legal channel, consumer protection, uh, protection of children. All that kind of stuff starts to matter, right? Environmental footprint, all those, all those other features. Uh, and so vape is still at the front end of that because uh, licensed producers as a whole have not fixed the supply chain. Now, this is where Hexo's advantage comes in. Uh, We've been hard at work developing great formulations, so initial responses to the actual distillate uh, that we have in our vapes is phenomenal. Uh, but the scale-up uh, is, uh, is, is not actually full-fledged. So we haven't actually turned on our vape machine the way we've turned on uh, the beverage machine. And I talk, I say machine, it's not one discrete uh, piece of equipment. I'm talking about the, the whole system and process to produce our vapes. Uh, that is something that will be coming up for Hexo, um, and it's a, it's a category we're certainly playing in. Uh, and when we do that, we expect to be able to do to the market what we did in flour, what we did in hash, uh, and what we're doing in beverage, which is to deliver pricing that's black market competitive, and which in turn will simply box out, uh, you know, 50% to 80% of our competition that is unable to operate uh, at the same scale. All right, great. Thanks for that, Colin. I'll jump back into the queue. Next question comes from Rukesh Parikh with Oppenheimer. Morning. Thanks for taking my question, and also congrats on a nice quarter. So, just just going back to the the progress that you guys have seen in the beverage category, I was just curious, what SKUs do you have today in the marketplace, and and going forward, what's the opportunity to add more SKUs in into into gain more distribution in, in more provinces? 
So distribution as a whole, Rupesh, and th thank you for pointing that out, is, is getting a lot more uh, sophisticated and a lot more competitive. So uh, the, the, our provincial partners, uh, in fact, are demanding uh, that we have a high throughput rate. So, I mean, you're looking at, uh, in, in Ontario, for example, uh, the filter order uh, has to be above 98.5%. Hexel's goal is to get well above 99% in that market uh, and to deliver the same kind of preferred partnership service that has made us number one in Quebec. Uh, in beverage, uh, that means that uh, the provinces are more and more uh, relying on portfolio providers that can stay on shelf uh, that have a good understanding of the consumer that can provide that whole portfolio offering. Um, and so uh, Trust has really become uh, the beverage company of choice throughout Canada. Uh, and that's, uh, that, that's not even in, in being in every store. So that's uh, with Trust uh, sitting at about 60% distribution right now. Uh, so there's a lot of low-hanging fruit to get more, uh, more listings simply as we get in more retail stores. So when I say 60% distribution, we're in about 6 out of 10 retail stores throughout the country. Uh, and that will rapidly increase uh, we hope to that that 90 percent plus number uh, in terms of listing amount like when you look at our SKUs, that's the beauty of the trust portfolio uh, our little victory wine spritzers made from real dealkalized wine uh, with a, a 2.5 milligram thc and 2.5 milligram cbd composition uh, we just launched a new SKU uh, with a dry white wine uh, base uh, in our uh, dry grapefruit line so uh, that that comes and joins uh, blood orange and dark cherry uh, our XMG line is proliferating and having really good success. That's at the higher end of the spectrum, 10 milligrams of THC offering in a tropical punch. And now the new flavor, mango pineapple, which is really dynamite, huge, uh, hu huge improvement in, uh, in flavor profile on that one. We have a, a, list, um, a line of uh, CBD sparkling waters, right? So uh, under the Verivel brand. Uh, and so uh, there's quite a few SKUs, actually. I think we're up to 14 or 15 now. Uh, SKUs in market, but we're also rapidly adapting to consumer preference. So we saw, for example, uh, that our House of Terpenes uh, brand has had tremendous success with limonene, uh, but consumers are having a bit of a slower uptake in understanding the, prop, the value prop under Mercine. And Mercine is a, is a very flavor-forward product. It was designed to go after the scotch drinker market. And so the first time you taste it, you're not sure what to expect because you've never actually tasted that flavor. And that, that's the really cool thing that we were able to develop with Molson Coors and Trust was to to come and take the unique characteristics of cannabis and not only deliver an experience that's unique, but actually to deliver a flavor. Uh, and so uh, on the, the uptake's been a bit slower on that product, but as consumers are starting to try it, it's starting to build a niche, but we're adjusting then supply uh, in response. So still a lot of opportunity for skew proliferation, a ton of opportunity for improvement. Uh, and we're dialing in, for example, in the USA, specific flavoring that's for the US market. Uh, and so uh, that, I'll be really excited to see what that does. Uh, it's too early to, to see the sales numbers, but that'll be a good thing to monitor. Okay, great. And then may, maybe just one follow-up question. So the gross margin performance uh, was, was pretty strong this quarter. So as we look forward, is it fair to think that we build on the improvement that we've, saw in, we've seen this quarter um, going forward? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, are you talking beverage side specifically or, or portfolio? Just in general, just portfolio. Yeah, yeah, just portfolio so, Chris yeah so in general, uh, yeah, super proud of what the team's done. We're hard at work on continuing to remove cogs. But the flip side is that we want to flow through those savings to the consumer. I mean, Hexo is not out to try to achieve 80% gross margins. Uh, we, we've been striving for, uh, for a 40% type portfolio margin. But if we have to be at 35 for a while uh, in order to make sure we, are relevant to the consumer and that we beat black market pricing uh, and that we continue to grow a market share and total share of market, 
that's certainly something we're going to do. I think what we're proving out is we have an ability to be the most competitive uh, amongst the most competitive companies in the whole sector. Uh, and uh, as long as we keep doing that and delivering great value for price, uh, I'm, I'm confident that we'll get the volume to keep sustaining a better uh, COG profile. Okay, great. Thank you and happy holidays. Thank you. Next question comes from John Zemparo with CIBC. Thanks. Good morning. Uh, I wanted to ask about pricing. Uh, it was a fairly significant decline in the quarter, but that was clearly just shift uh, towards large format value. Um, but just would like to get a sense of uh, how you see that category playing out in pricing for uh, the next few quarters. Yeah, well, I think from pricing, uh, John, thanks for that. Uh, you, one, you didn't, you did not see the impact of our up portfolio. So the the up relaunch, as we said, we had we had taken a, a specific action to delay that to make sure that when we did launch, we would be we would be in market all the time. So so that should uh, po provide some positive momentum. Um, but overall, if you look at kind of the the stabilized pricing over five quarters, uh, we you know you'll you'll be trending up down. You, you tend to stick around uh, the, the pricing that we have now I think is reflective of the uh, of an ability to keep pricing go forward um, but overall I guess investors I, I wouldn't caution investors on seeing any kind of uh, massive price drops but the but to that on a program basis I think that's not where we want to look at pricing. Uh, I think on a per gram basis, there's still some room to move a little bit lower uh, just to really dial in the competitive nature against black market. Uh, and then simply, uh, if, if we get a little bit tighter, and this depends on certain products, right? Like if you take original stash 28 gram, you don't need to drop the pricing on that product. It's more competitive than what black market can offer. Uh, when you, you take a you take a hundred twenty dollar ounce, right? What's available for a hundred a hundred twenty dollars on the black market? Simply, it's not even near the quality that you get in original stash. Um, so, uh, but but there's still a lot of room to uh, to refine pricing on categories like vapes, for example. Uh, there's still some room to refine pricing on categories like hash. Uh, but the exciting thing is that Hexo has the infrastructure to do that, and as we've proven with original stash, as we drive pricing most of our competition can't follow, and then that leaves a larger basket for us. Okay, that's helpful, thanks. Uh, and then my second question, on the beverage side, um, as you have conversations with retailers and distributors, is, is there a sense that there's kind of a cap on how big that category can get just because of the um, lower revenue per per square foot of that item versus, say, dried flour or other categories? Is that something... Uh, they mentioned to you, is that something you're thinking about when you when you mentioned the 15% uh, percent of sales of the category? Just trying to get a sense of how, how that plays out in your conversations with uh, with partners. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, we, we talk about that all the time. We're talking to our preferred retailers, right? We, we, we talk to retailers uh, literally every day. Uh, and uh, so one of the things we've done is we've actually, uh, we, we have a, a capital a fridge program. So uh, Trust provides uh, fridges that uh, provide for a very nice setup in retail stores and nice experience, refrigerated beverage, ready to drink. So that's one of the things we've done. Uh, but the, the other thing we've done, and this is where the, that capital moat around Belleville comes up. Uh, you know, in Quebec, for example, we're shipping twice a week. So we're reloading those stores uh, often. And that's something that we've started to take. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I commend uh, the OCS and the Ontario government for the progress they've done. They've got their brand new distribution center coming up very soon uh, in, uh, in Guelph. Uh, and, um, 
that 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 facility allows for a just-in-time sort of approach. And as they look at uh, an overall SKU rationalization uh, for the industry and really focus on a core SKU program, uh, trust is part of those core SKUs. And what that means is that we're we're in market, we're replenishing often. Uh, and then that paired with the longer term uh, regulatory development at the federal level that allow case quantity, uh, absolutely, uh, I think that uh, it, it, we are able to blow past that barrier. Um, you're seeing a bunch of new retail uh, store operators open, and we're working closely with those new retailers to make sure that uh, beverage is, uh, you know, is more than a 1% of uh, in their mind, that they really start to think of beverage as 10 to 15% of the category uh, because it is a differentiator. And so I, 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 that certainly is a challenge we need to overcome, but uh, it will be overcome over the medium to long term. Okay, that's helpful. Thank you very much. Next question comes from David Kittickle with ATB Capital Markets. Hi, good morning. Hi. Thanks for uh, taking my question and congrats on the quarter. Uh, first question is, uh, Sebastian, you mentioned, and this has been a recurring theme over, I, I guess, quite some quarters, just increasing your market share in other provinces uh, besides Quebec. So I'm wondering, just on that point alone, are you able to disclose what your market share is uh, within the other big provinces? And also, what specific steps um, is HEXO going to take to increase market share? Um, and will that be HEXO-driven, or do you see that more as uh, macro-related factors, for example, the opening of new brick-and-mortar stores? Thanks. Thank you, David. Yeah, definitely hexo driven. I mean, our 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 war on the floor strategy, uh, our brand strategy. Uh, so with with the up launch now, Hexo has a full portfolio offering across the value chain, right? We've got our Hexo core offering. We've got original stash towards the value. We've got up the up relaunch at the the premium uh, portfolio. So we can really offer retailers, uh, and then that, that that's just from a, a pricing perspective. But we can offer retailers across categories now too. Uh, a full slew of products, right? When you look at vape, uh, hash, uh, pre-rolls, uh, flour across all categories, beverages, the, there's not a lot of uh, competitors that can do that. And so we, we're having a lot of success in being part of that at both the retail level and also with the provinces at having those conversations as a preferred supplier. Uh, so that will uh, drive volume. The second piece uh, that drives volume is our ability to compete directly with the illicit market on price uh, for a like quantity, uh, like quality and better. And so uh, that, that that is also driving volume. And you also have a flushing out of competition, uh, which is driving volume. So uh, you're, you're seeing a lot of our competitors. I mean, there's still over 400 licensed producers in Canada, uh, but uh, 10 of the licensed producers control 90% of the market share. Uh, Hexo is part of that 90%. Uh, and you're seeing that success uh, now that we've unlocked the supply chain and that we're, we're really uh, focused um, outside of Quebec while maintaining number one position in Quebec. But while we're focused there, you, you've seen in this quarter, it's almost 30% of our revenue now uh, that's coming from outside of our, uh, our core home province. So uh, a, a, meaningful, uh, a meaningful upgrade from, uh, from where we were before. Uh, let okay. me follow up with uh, Trent here. Let me follow up there quickly. Um, Seb didn't have the figures right in front of him, but you've asked about market share and, and uh, you know, look, we're number three in Alberta. We have 7% market share. Uh, we're number six in Ontario. Don't forget, not too long ago, we we're 17 in Ontario. Now we're number six, and we still, we have very close to 5% market share now there. 
Um, and, and more of our basket, it's more than 30%. Uh, we're 18% of our, our total sales in Q, uh, you know, right now, um, as of today, in fact, right now, today, this today is 18%. 18% of our sales are in Alberta, 15% are in Ontario. Um, you know, and then we, we're not just in those two provinces outside Quebec, we're in other provinces as well, like BC. Uh, so, like, like Seb said earlier, our goal is in our goal, and we're progressing there extraordinarily quickly, is to have more than 50% of our basket outside of Quebec, while again maintaining that market share in Quebec. And, and we're on our way. That's that's not a year from now. That's we're getting there very very quickly. Okay, thanks, guys. Very helpful. Uh, my follow-up question goes back to your uh, original Stash brand. Um, and our channel checks and due diligence have suggested that uh, consumers are not really loyal to any value price brand per se, and they're, they're willing to go with whatever's the cheapest price in store. Um, so my, my question is, number one, do your channel checks uh, verify that as well, or, or actually is, is original stash perhaps um, uh, working outside the box here? Um, and secondly, on that one as well, um, to what extent do you, do you envisage um, original stash contributing to your top line uh, revenue number, just as a, a value brand? Thanks. Well, David, I think that you're touching on a core point there, and I've been saying now for years that brands don't exist yet in cannabis, uh, although we are starting to see them build. Uh, and original stash certainly is a name to watch. Uh, so uh, I, I've fundamentally believe that to build brands and for the brand to cycle back into value, to, to, to really build value from the brand itself, uh, that brand needs to first have an unbelievable distribution uh, and second, have a, uh, a very good uh, feature set to price. It needs to, be, it needs to be priced right for the features that it offers. Uh, I think we've done those first two things uh, with Original Stash, and we've started to see uh, search for product, especially in web sales, people are searching by brand name. So it's starting. But you're right that overall, this is a highly competitive market and that we can't rest on any laurels. No brand is strong enough to command, just from a brand name perspective, to command shelf space. We have to keep driving value through price and feature set. And Hexo is very good at doing that. We're very good at remaining relevant and responding to the market. And so I see the fact that brands don't exist yet in cannabis as an opportunity for Hexo, as an opportunity to build our portfolio of brands. And from a top line uh, perspective, uh, I think uh, Trent can, can share a little bit where we're going. Yeah, I mean, look, from our top line, we're con we continue to, you know, grow and expand. And we're, our, our goal is to be, uh, you know, Look, we can't, we can't say what we're what's going to happen. We're not giving guidance, okay? But let's make it clear. Our goal is to continue coming here quarter after quarter with very clean P&Ls, very digestible, um, that allows us to continue that, you know, that, that uh, ongoing dialogue of another quarter of growth, another quarter of growth, another quarter of growth, um, top and bottom line. And so when we talk, I mean, there's been a lot of questions on pricing here. I mean, over the course of these analyst call uh, questions, and and that's fair enough. But that's why we have such great practices in our cultivation uh, in Masson, which we're not talking about a lot, but really great uh, quality 
um, uh, operations going on there as a result of, uh, you know, uh, led by our chief operating officer, uh, Don, uh, who, who's uh, a wealth of knowledge, and he, he's brought in some great people in Masson. They're, they're doing a wonderful job. And then you move that over to Belleville and what's happening. Our price can come down, and we can continue to be, to be very good on margin. This is not a, a margin game. It's a volume game. You know, the more we sell, the be- better we can do uh, on our um, on our dollars of margin, even at lower lower margin rates. And and that's the bottom line. We control our SG&A. We get that war on COGS going. If we're at 35%, we're going to be profitable all day long. Um, and, and that's a good place to be. And that's and we're one of very very few who, who can say that. Um, so we, we we like where we're at. Okay, thanks for that. Very helpful. I'll hop back in the queue. Next question comes from John Chu with Desjardins Capital Markets. Hi, good morning. Maybe just following up on the beverages in the retail uh, stores, one of the earlier questions was about convincing the retailers from a value per square footage. But the other question I guess I have is just more from a capacity perspective. A lot of the retail stores are pretty small footprints. And in terms of how do you convince them to, to take a, on a, a trust-related uh, branded fr- refrigerator to house some of the drinks? I'm just trying to understand what the small footprints that some of these stores have. How do you get to that target of 15% if the space within the store is pretty limited? Yeah, I'll, I'll, let me take this one just for – and Seb can clearly jump in if I miss anything, but – you know, my background is in is in retail. Okay, that's I spent my better part of my executive career in retail, and I can tell you, you're, that's a great question. You know, how do you get listings? How do you convince retailers to take on new listings and provide space inside of a fixed uh, quantity of square footage? Uh, Seb talked about it earlier. You know, there's there's different programs. There's the refrigeration. You know, you're taking capital expenses that they would have otherwise had out of their pocket. You're doing it on their behalf, and the and the return is. In return, you say you have to take certain listings. But there's also the fact that we have molten cores. You know, we can't understate the fact that we have a global partner, global, you know, and this isn't, uh, not to take uh, shots here, but it's not a a craft beer location in one state. You know, this is a global partner. And when they want listings, they get listings. And, and, you know, that's that's the beauty of it. In retail environments, um, you know, they're going to give what they see. They're going to give space to whatever moves. And so we can get a listing. But somebody asked earlier, are we getting more people coming after the fact? We are. You know, that's the truth of it. We we started off first quarter with 1.9. Now we're at 3.1. And let's be honest, we have not tapped out here. You know, this is a growing segment for us. And you're going to see that. And so, you know, we're continuing to grow. What we're seeing is that this is that retailers are wanting more and more of this product. Seb said it earlier. Once you introduce, like people can say, oh, it's not that big, a, 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 not that big of a category because the products are, let's be honest, not good. They're they're just not good. They don't have a good taste profile. People are trying it, like like somebody pointed out, they're trying it, but they're not coming back for it. Uh, that has changed. That has changed dramatically. Little Victory was just named the number was named uh, top beverage in Canada uh, in the Cannabis Awards by Kind, and uh, you know that's because it has that great profile. People are going to come back, and they are coming back over and over. And when you get volume going for retail, 
with a decent margin, which it is, retailers will give it shelf space. And that and that's how it works. Okay, great. And then the second question is just maybe a bit more of an update on Belleville. Sebastian, you mentioned that uh, it's up and running now. So maybe just give us a sense on the transition to Belleville, where that's at, and when do you think you'll be mostly transitioned over there, excluding the, the trust part of that? Yeah, John, it's done. We're uh, we, we, we're fully transitioned. We have no more. Uh, the, there, there's there's no significant manufacturing operations happening in Masson or outside of. Uh, outside of Belleville now. So we've really, we've consolidated. That's why we took that virtual introductory tour. Now, uh, what's great now is that we're, we're done moving everything to Belleville. The improvements and the proliferation within that facility, that, that we're just getting started. So super exciting uh, over the next few years to see, uh, you know, best-in-class pre-roll manufacturing, see vape being integrated for, best in, for, uh, for manufacturing. And as we start to put those elements there, and hopefully... Uh, a few more partners next to Truss, right? Uh, which uh, which we've got uh, we've got about 400,000 square feet sitting in Belleville, uh, waiting to accommodate those partners, and that's uh, that's licensed square footage that can accommodate the next Fortune 500 CPG partners. As we do that, that center really comes alive. But right now, it's uh, it's active. I mean, the parking lot's full. You got 350 Hexo employees working at that center, so it's uh, it's quite operational. Okay, great. Thank you. Next question comes from Doug Meem with RBC Capital Markets. Uh, good morning. Uh, two questions. Sebastian, I just wanted to delve a little bit more, and I know this has been beat to death, but I do want to understand your thinking because you were a leader on the original staff side. So I want to get your thinking on where you think pricing needs to go in the vape market um, relative to where it is right now, let's say for half a gram or a gram type product, um, and if you're going to be leading that charge. Thank you, Doug. Yeah, so I, I, I won't disclose on this call where I'm taking the pricing uh, just yet. Um, if uh, So I apologize for, for dodging that question a little bit. But overall, for uh, Hexo's plan is to have a, uh, a pyramid type brand strategy right? So think up Hexo original stash and at all feature sets to have price points that compete directly with the black market. And that will be largely driven uh, by our ability to lower unit cost uh, to, uh, and to flow that through to the consumer and to win through volume. Okay. And where is the black market right now? Oh, black market vapes. So it, it depends on the the quality and feature set. But I mean, you'll you'll get a, a black market vapes could range uh, a, anywhere from uh, twenty dollars. Uh, I mean, you could get as low as ten to fifteen dollars on certain disposables in the sale environment. Uh, to uh, you know, you're typically towards the the thirty forty dollar range on uh, something a bit uh, quote unquote higher end. Now, obviously, those are brand promises and the black market that are unvalidated and there's nothing to back it up so they they tend to say what they want about their products um but uh, that, that, that's kind of your pricing okay and then my second question has to do with the capital fridge program because i think it will be helpful but can you sort of walk through the details of that if you do provide a fridge to a retail store um are there any obligations on their part in terms of ordering a certain amount of product or 
Can you just walk us through this fridge program in a bit more detail? Yeah, we don't create any obligations for our retail partners, uh, and we, we, we do it as part of our overall, like, for example, in Quebec, uh, the, the capital fridge program that we do in Quebec, we do as part of being the, the preferred supplier. Uh, it's the same sort of arrangement we do. I mean, we take care of the distribution for all web sales in Quebec, right? That's not a, that's not an in-exchange quid pro quo. That's part of what we see as our relationship uh, as preferred supplier. It's the kind of service that we do, we, we deliver to our customers, uh, and, uh, so that that uh, that's part of that that overall program. We believe that the the kind of when you look at it in aggregate and everything that Hexo offers to our customers, that is the reason they come back and that they choose us uh, willingly as a preferred supplier. And that's the reason that we keep uh, that we can keep our shelf space and then uh, create sell through with the consumer. And what's the uh, cost of that? Yeah. Just follow that up. The you think about the fridge program. It's it's very it's very similar to a lot of you know retail environments and LPs even within the cannabis retail environment coming in doing merchandising and and, and the retailers allowing them to put up displays. You know, it's not dissimilar to that. Um, you know, there is no obligation. There's no incentive beyond the, just the fact that you have a fridge there. Um, but uh, yeah, so it didn't didn't want to leave it at that. Leave it there. Well, and, and just to finish off, what's going the expected cost of that program over the next two years? That's within the, it's within trust. Yeah, it's within trust, Doug. So we we don't that that all rolls in uh, eventually. And as a reminder, uh, trust will be obtaining its own license within the next six to twelve months. Uh, when that happens, the the trust uh, earnings cost everything will move over to uh, Molson Coors Consolidation from Hexo. Uh, and uh, as trust becomes profitable, we expect to simply see. Uh, you know, contribution to net income uh, below the line there. Uh, so uh, it's not nothing material. Okay, thank you. Once again, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star one on your telephone keypad. And we do not have any telephone questions at this time. I will turn the call over to Mr. St. Louis. Thank you, everybody, for joining the call. It's been exciting to share our progress uh, as uh, as we continue to, uh, to 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 remain in that top four list in Canada, and uh, looking forward to sharing continued progress and continue to roll out new products uh, to more consumers. We'll see you next quarter. This concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.